0: where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week, we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better.
1: Join us. This is the healthcare wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and welcome to the Marketing Forward Movement where we're finally making healthcare all about consumers and innovation. If you want to be a part of it, then this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you are going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. We have no choice but to move forward, and we need your help to evolve, accelerate, and shift the way that healthcare is experienced. One resource we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health Content Network. Folks, Shift.Health is an influential thought leadership platform. It currently includes 25 different podcasts and video series. So think about that. It's dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of content that's specifically there to help you shape the future healthcare experience. One of those series is called Accelerating Recovery with Data, presented by the good folks over at Symphony RM. It's all about becoming a data enthusiast. And I think we can all agree that healthcare needs more data enthusiasts. Those in our organizations who are champions of what the data tells us. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to shift.health to see our member podcasts and video series. Everything's free and available on demand. So here's what's going to go down today. We'll kick things off with the flavor of the week about co-creating branded content. Then we've got Brian Callis in the house to chat about Accenture's 2020 Consumer Health Survey. It's so packed with meaningful data points that I can't wait to share with you. So are you ready? Let's go.
0: Flavor of the week.
1: I hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim this week, which means that on top of 28 miles of backpacking and some of the world's most incredible views, for three days, I did not get any unsolicited LinkedIn requests, emails that I don't recall opting in for, or offers to download sales literature disguised as branded content. And you know what? I kinda liked it. I mean, three whole days without my world being interrupted by brands clamoring for my attention. No wonder my trip was so reinvigorating. Of course, I'm being a bit facetious because I don't want to downplay the canyon itself. If you ever have a chance to go down past any of the observation points and experience its reverent majesty even as a day hike, I highly recommend it. At the same time, It made me think about how much brands can do a disservice to their target audience when each brand tries to do content marketing completely on their own. The promise of content marketing has turned into a whitewash of white noise where it seems everyone is only interested in providing snacks in their particular flavor. No one is thinking about the full meal, even though that's what the buyer needs and wants. It's a challenge for brands because each one is vying for a fraction of the buyer's attention but I'd submit that the greater challenge is for the buyer because they're the ones who have to sort through all the noise ringing in their ears when they're finally ready to look for that solution. So here's a crazy idea, because you know I love crazy ideas. What if brands started creating content together rather than each one trying it on their own? Think about it. Buyers would have less noise to sort through and brands would have better offers to, well, offer them. Most buyers these days are ultimately responsible for a full meal, not just a side item or a dessert. So why are we trying to market one menu item at a time still? Co-creating content in any form might just be the ultimate way to quote-unquote provide value, which is the whole point, isn't it? Or are we still confused about that too? And that's the flavor of the Week. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I'm here with Brian Callis. Brian's in the house this week. He is the Managing Director of Accenture Health, and uh, I'm thrilled to have him here. Uh, He and I I had the pleasure of participating on a panel discussion recently about a lot of different things, a lot about digital transformation that's happening in our space today. And in particular, there's a recent survey, a consumer health survey that just came out that Brian's going to share with us about. But we'll get into that here in a moment. Brian, welcome to the program.
2: How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks, Jared. Glad to be here today.
1: So I recall on that panel, you and I were not doing video today, but I recall the the beard was pretty legit last time I saw you. So uh, how's that going? Is, is that a, I don't know if uh, if things have changed, if you're still growing that out or if, if that has uh, changed because of the pandemic has settled
2: down. I don't know if the two even well, were good. correlated. Yeah, Jared, good point. No, it's it's continuing to grow that out. I would say it was the opportunity to do so uh, while sheltering in place and continuing to make that the new look. So if you When you see those pictures of the future and compare it with what you see on social media, it's going to look very different.
1: Well, I do have to say I'm not even just flattering you here, but I think you wore it well. I think it's a good indication of, of just a, a what 2020 looks and feels like uh, in a good way. So for what that's worth, just wanted to share that. Sounds good. So, Brian, we've got a lot going on in our industry, to say the least. I see a lot of what what you're posting out there, what you're sharing with us all about the big movers in our industry. And as we, we dive into the survey, to kind of give us some context of that, what's just maybe one thing out there that you are paying a lot of attention to right now, whether it's mergers and acquisitions or a certain type of digital health apparatus. What's what's definitely keeping your attention right now?
2: Big topics that have been getting my attention are really looking at new ways of delivering care as well as new ways of financing care. And ultimately thinking about how can we make you know the system work better for people, both for health consumers as well as um, clinicians. And a big part of that is to solve you know, some of the big problems that have grappled, the industry have grappled with for some time including like, how do you get better labor productivity from a specialized clinical workforce? And a big part of that, I believe, is like, how can you blend both human experience with emerging technology, you know, in new ways to ultimately solve some of those problems? It's always like
1: boiling the ocean, to say the least. You know, when we start to say, how do we, how do we solve or fix or disrupt the healthcare quote unquote system, which parts of just the healthcare infrastructure in our country do you tend to focus on the most when you say like here's the opportunity to make something better you can even take labor productivity like you just mentioned and any area what's what's the starting point when you have organizations that are trying to make improvements there's so much to do
2: where's a good starting point each starting point is going to be unique to each organization and their particular strategy however with that there's one group And one area of focus where you're really starting on making sure the fundamentals are in place and in better order. Um, And that includes just blending technology and, you know, physical connections together. So if you take a health system as an example, technology has been deployed over the, you know, multiple decades. And a lot of that has led to a high degree of fragmentation because it's been for consumers as well as clinicians. So there's some fundamentals about, well, how do you create that? one login that someone can use to get access to the different services that are provided. You know, a common set of profiles and preferences so a person's known and minimizing, let's say, even sending in physical interactions like a mailer multiple times to the same person. So those are, you know, sound very basic, but are really hard to execute on for organizations that have been around for 100 years or more. That's one group. Now, if I look another way, there's also the concept of, well, do you innovate at the hub of like a hospital or do you go to a spoke to something that's more like an area like primary care or care in the community? So we're also seeing others who are taking a lot of innovation of thinking through how do we think through primary care differently and care both in the home and in the community? And with that, how do we blend technology plus, you know, people together in new ways to ultimately, you know, provide that care closer to home?
1: Yeah, I know that that made me think of of a recent example of uh, Sean Slavinsky, you know, with Walmart Health, the one who built up Walmart Health to where it was and then just recently departed and is now with BioIQ. He's the CEO of BioIQ, so a laboratory and, and testing organization that is not exactly on the same publicity radar screen as a Walmart Health, you know, or a retail health giant, someone like that. And I remember hearing a couple of comments that he has mentioned recently when describing kind of the transition that he's been making between the two. And scale was one thing that has come up. And I think that's that's something you kind of just mentioned, the scale of offerings and infrastructure needed between the different audiences involved in healthcare. He mentioned scale in particular and talked about it as one piece of the puzzle that why Walmart had the opportunity to succeed in healthcare where others didn't because they were able to scale up. There are only a handful of organizations, maybe maybe they might be the only ones who actually know how to scale and can make that work. And so that, that's gonna be a key moving forward. So I am curious if you had any thoughts about, uh, first off, about retail health and, and Walmart Health in particular, and then about that transition that he's making because Sean Slavinsky was, basically making the point that the laboratory space, if there's a starting point for innovation, that's it. That a lot of the, the timelines that at the early onset of the pandemic were enlarged, things took a lot longer because the testing laboratory space wasn't ready
2: for this pandemic. So I, didn't, I don't know where, you, where your thoughts were on, on any of that. Yeah, I think maybe to go, go back, I mean, to your point, there are a lot of examples that have existed for some time of both care model and financing innovations. So there are signals, but I think as you're mentioning, not all those have been, many of them have not scaled. So there's a lot of early stage efforts that we've seen that have had success. I think the question is, how do we distribute those both widely across the country and equitably as well? One emerging area and the area you mentioned, especially as you think of care in the home and closer to the community, that COVID showed was really that need for in-home diagnostics kind of being a key thing. How can you provide the ability to understand what's wrong with a person in the comfort of their home and safety of their home where they're not um, exposed to potential infectious disease and do so in a way that can allow them to get the treatments they need. And increasingly, you're seeing retailers Trying to move into that space as well, given their existing footprint. I think the good news is there's room for a lot. There's a lot of room for collaboration across traditional and non-traditional players like that to try to, you know, address some of the grappling problems that are facing the industry. And some of that was stuff we uh, also highlighted in the in our survey, as you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, perfect way to to move us right on into our rap battle because it's time to dive deep into that survey and some of the things you'll learn there. So let's go ahead and dive in there. Rap battle. The rap battle is where we challenge the status quo and we just say, look, it's time to challenge how things have been done. We tend to focus on the digital and or marketing aspect of things. And what we've come to learn even over the course of this podcast is that there are implications for so many other teams and so many other stakeholders in an organization that that digital can't just... It's funny to even call it just digital, in, in, in my opinion. It's it's marketing, or it's IT, or it's provider relations, or it's physician relations, it's networking, it's all the different aspects of care, and we just kind of apply digital to things these days. So it's it's interesting how things have evolved. So, Brian, you mentioned this survey. So let's start with the basics. So when was this completed? What were your goals in, uh, in completing this research? And then we'll get into some of the findings.
2: We've actually been looking at consumers' use of digital technologies to manage their health and healthcare for a number of years. And this year was kind of dating back to actually 2014 and our most recent survey that was completed before the pandemic. And ultimately what we've been looking at and watching is seeking to understand consumers' use of digital technologies to manage their health and healthcare, as well as how people's attitudes and preferences are changing in related to using technology for that purpose. And what we actually found is prior to Covid nineteen, digital health adoption had stalled. Now, what's interesting is that was after about two years ago, digital health had reached mainstream adoption, where a majority of people were saying they were using some form of app or wearable to help them manage their health and health care. That ultimately started to plateau. Our real question is just, you know how could Covid nineteen serve to resume that growth following the forced adoption? that was required by consumers and clinicians in response to the epidemic. Where
1: were some of the the key highlights and let's go from there because I'd love to hear what surprised
2: you in the data as well. Yeah, I mean, one point was just the adoption. I mean, it was it was surprising that we saw the adoption of the use of apps and wearables drop from what was, you know, upwards of 50% adoption 2 years ago to, you know, as low as you know, roughly 35 to 40% adoption among users. An interesting fact is where that drop happened, it was actually among younger generations or generations younger than 65. We actually saw the adoption curve hold pretty steady for 65 plus in terms of their use of technology for their health and healthcare. That's one area. The other area was just, you know, that was all before the pandemic. So then what happened, right? COVID-19 forced a surge of adoption and that adoption both by Consumers and clinicians, you know, you have a number of, you know, different data points out there, including how many health systems went from, you know, 100 to 200 visits of virtual visits per week to upwards of 10,000 plus per week, and have sustained that. And that really forced both people to try virtual services where they hadn't before, as well as clinicians to adopt it themselves. So our kind of our question is, well, how will we sustain some of that growth where is it appropriate to sustain it and how will it go, you know, go forward.
3: Hey there listeners. If you're all about listening to your website visitors to learn more about how to improve your website experience, then G-Site is for you. G-Site is a suite of digital improvement tools that capture the voice of the digital customer. Hi, I'm Rob Klein, co-founder of G-Site and founder and CEO of Klein & Partners, a market research and brand consulting firm dedicated to helping hospitals and health systems find their brand voice. I co-developed this service offering with the team at graystone.net several years ago. G-Site helps you prioritize and focus your website improvement and enhancement efforts. It's a suite of solutions including a pop-up website experience survey tool, a user-friendly dashboard and reporting tool, a user behavior tracking tool, expert consulting services, and more. What if I told you that 8% of your visitors have a new negative opinion of your brand after visiting your website? Now multiply that number by the total number of annual visitors. Does that number scare you? If so, go to www.graystone.net forward slash gsite to learn more about how we can help and sign up for an introductory overview. Hope to speak with you soon.
1: I remember you saying, and, and I'm finding it here again in the, the summary of the survey that I'm looking at right now, about how that if there's a bad first impression or a lackluster digital experience, that can really turn consumers away. And it's not like they're going to keep coming back.
2: Like the importance of that experience has seemed to grow. Tell us more about that. Prior to forced adoption, people were saying that a bad digital experience could ruin their overall interaction with a provider, whether it's in, phys- you know, in person and so forth. The interesting question on this is, you know, there was a lot of flexibility given in response to the pandemic. There were a lot of challenging uses of digital across on all sides, but everyone was understanding that because it was out of necessity for all of us. However, we kind of assumed that there's a high, high degree of possibility that people's behaviors and those expectations may come back as things start to stabilize. And that really starts to go, well, how can health systems improve their digital experiences to avoid that bad experience? I think the good news is many health systems already had Digital front doors or other ways to improve experience as part of their strategic priorities on their radar, but wasn't necessarily moving at an accelerated pace. What we've started to see is, you know, in res- following kind of the learning and innovation from in response to COVID, those have now accelerated from things that were on the edge to the center of strategies. And there's really this rethink of, well, how do we blend technology with our existing care models to ultimately meet people where they're at? Well,
1: one key to that is definitely how the providers, how the doctors, how a nurse practitioner, how a clinician views the role of digital health and how much they decide to use, how much they decide to adopt it. And it looks like you, there was a key finding there about this, making doctors key to promoting digital engagement and awareness. Uh, any any thoughts on that data point? I thought that was an interesting one.
2: Yeah, it was it was interesting. So as we if we go with well, who do people trust? You know, people ultimately. You know, who do they trust to also keep their information secure and who do they trust for virtual services? Not surprisingly, doctors are and clinicians ultimately are at the highest degree or the the people people or that people trust most. Even with that, though, prior to COVID, we saw that trust starting to decline, even though it was still high. Now, when you ask people what would actually get them to further adopt and engage in solutions to help manage their health, digital solutions to manage their health they were stating they really wanted that trusted healthcare provider to provide those types of recommendations. However, prior to COVID, only 11% of clinicians were providing those types of tools to people to use it. That completely flipped with COVID-19 and in response, where you were seeing health systems and doctors recommending these tools as a way for people to receive care they need, but also in the safety in their of their home. So the question is, how do we actually make this how do we make it easier for clinicians to continue to provide those trusted recommendations? How do we also find which tools are effective and which are not to make sure that quality recommendations can be provided? Which is no easy task, is it? Oh, <laughs> There's, exactly. There's a lot to a lot to do there. Yeah, and, and that might
1: very easily be one of the reasons why you know it hasn't happened on a in a widespread fashion yet, or when it was, you know, why it started to plateau. The amount of I guess I can think in terms of the, the the hype cycle on so many different aspects of digital health. We have gone through that trough of uh, I forget what it's called, Leo, but the, the trough in the hype cycle where we've gone through how everything was just going to be disrupted and and transformed and innovated, whether it was because of an EHR or because of wearables or because of data integration, and now we've seen. There's progress made because of each of these different pieces of technology, but nothing has completely revolutionized the quote-unquote healthcare system that, that we keep coming back to, which just makes me think there are two ways to look at this. There's still the, look how much progress we still have to go and how slowly things have come. But then there's the looking through the lens of innovation and saying, look at the opportunities to innovate and look at how things have accelerated because of COVID. This is a unique opportunity. It's a unique opportunity to do things that there have been champions in a healthcare organization that have wanted to do it and just haven't had the support to do it. There are ways that we didn't even know we could innovate that are now possible. So my question would be, where's a good starting point for innovation in health systems? Where are you seeing traction happening? Where are you seeing that opportunity
2: be the biggest? Part of this comes back to, I think what's What's happened is, you know, in response to COVID-19 is, like you said, that accelerated a lot of initiatives that were in flight or brought initiatives that were planned you know to the forefront. And many of them were thinking about, you know, some of those were called digital front doors. Some of those were consumer experience initiatives. What we're really starting to see is because of the large rise of virtual care adoption, because of the ongoing need for the home to be a key place of care go forward, there is this rethink about how to blend both digital and physical connections with consumers in different ways and actually change, unify all those different connections. In addition, there's also the need to, how do we make those work better for frontline clinical staff? Because they have to be things that work within people's workflow. As a result, you're really seeing a rethink of, well, how do we pull all these things together and do it? And really change the care model and how it's being provided, but do so very mindfully, leveraging the, what's been learned over the past few years by others, as well as the past few months, based on forced adoption. In some cases, and in many cases, that's starting with the fundamental pieces, like we talked about earlier, with digital front doors, but then embedding that, you know, some of those features also into how you provide in-person care. And really just starting to bring a lot of fragmentation under one common system. But there's big implications of just not just the technology, it's also workforce changes, process changes, and then, you know, underlying technology that can be enabled, enable those different things. So
1: true. I hadn't thought of really of how to take some of the better features of a digital front door experience and embed that. And other features into the in-person experience. It's kind of a, a retroactive way of, of thinking about it, which I think is
2: going to lead to a lot of success. I had never even thought of it that way. That's really cool. So then, when with it, that was a trend that we were seeing, as you mentioned, retail was facing that as was starting to face that a few years ago. We actually had a separate trend called physical. It's back where, because there was a lot of talk about digital, you know, over the last decade, specifically in retail, well, there was this element of, well, the blending of that and how physical became more important or different in the equation. And you were seeing those two worlds come together. And you saw that with, for example, retailers having tech platform, e-commerce tech platform hubs connected into the physical retail experience and vice versa. You're kind of starting to see that same physical digital combo coming into healthcare as well. Very interesting. If we're looking back a year from now, what do you hope we're talking
1: about in terms of progress we've made on any of these initiatives on any of the findings from the survey? What do you hope we're talking about or or celebrating 12
2: months from now? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I hope we're celebrating improvements in access and affordability and equitably for all people and this being a start. So that's obviously a big statement. I think this is more around, we're celebrating that we're starting to make those improvements to increase access and affordability for all people and doing so in a way you know, that is meeting people where they're at and based off their preference, whether that's in-person connections or digital connections. And that includes also addressing issues with digital divide. And how can we actually provide access, equitable access to technology as part of that equation?
1: Oh, well, I
2: hope I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope we are looking here a year from a now as a fast timeline. So let's just say we're seeing the direction and, you know, the move in that way. I think the good news is we're starting to see some things starting to happen based off what we've experienced over the past six months or so that are moving in that direction.
1: Love it. I love it. OK, well, one last chance. Anything we haven't mentioned about the survey or any of the findings there that we haven't mentioned yet that you want to make sure we hear about?
2: I think it's pretty important just across all these things that we really think of human needs first, both consumers and clinicians. And we think through well und- and getting a deep understanding of what those are and then building services and applying technology and to meet those needs as a primary priority. So none of this stuff is about technology in and of itself. It's about how does that work for us as people ultimately to move us forward?
1: Fantastic. Brian, this has been a pleasure. I just have a couple last questions for you. They don't have to do with the survey or anything. First one is who do you follow in terms of either media sites or
2: influencers or just voices out there that you like to, to keep up with? In terms of just different perspectives out there, you know, there's a lot of different people. One in particular, you know, work follow closely. Um Sachin Jain, so the current, the new CEO of Scan Health and his perspectives on, you know, how do you actually blend technology, physical space, and new care models, be one example. Jane Sarasone Khan and her Health Populi blog, as well as the like of Lisa Sunan related to investing. So those are some examples. And in general, just, you know, look at a number of different media outlets and, that are looking at health innovation and just the industry trends overall. Very
1: cool. All right. Last question. If listeners want to connect with you and they haven't yet, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: Yep, The best way to connect with me is through uh, social media, specifically LinkedIn and Twitter. Feel free to reach out uh, through any of those channels at any time and be happy to connect with anyone.
1: Very cool. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Uh, It gave me a lot to think about. Our listeners uh, are going to really be able to dig into this and and hear a lot of things. And hopefully I'm You might even listen more than once because there's a lot here for them to think about and unpack. I just want to thank you for giving us a few minutes. Uh, Stay safe, stay well, and best of luck uh, keeping an eye on everything that's going on in our industry.
2: You too. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Hey, thanks so much to Brian and thank you for listening. Don't forget to be a part of the Marketing Forward movement. You can do so by listening, subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way that healthcare is experienced. So on behalf of Brian and myself, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.